The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now, there's sort of good news and bad news. Um, the good news would be that we could be 13 billion euro better off. The bad news is that we didn't want it. Uh, Apple and the Irish government have suffered a major setback. You know, that long running campaign by the European Commission uh, for Apple to pay uh, the government here. 13 billion of alleged back taxes. Well, there was a finding in a lower court that said, no, uh, everything was fine. There was no sweetheart deal between the Irish government and Apple. But now a key advisor to the European Court of Justice, the Advocate General, has recommended that the uh, highest court, the Court of Justice, set aside the ruling of the lower court, saying that it had made a number of errors. And uh, generally speaking, the the court follows the rule or the recommendation rather of the advocate general so they're suggesting now that the the, the outcome of this case ultimately will be uh, that apple does owe the irish government 13 billion and then watch the other countries around the eu saying oh, we want some of that pie and then there'll be other companies saying why didn't we get a sweetheart deal it could be a right mess which explains why the Irish government was opposing that ruling by the commission now in Northern Ireland a one-off grant payment of £7,500 will be made available to businesses in Impacted by flooding as part of government support measures which were announced yesterday. And it follows increased calls from those affected, with some Northern Irish business owners even saying they've considered relocating across the border to the places like Dundalk, as in the event of flooding, they'd be better supported by the government of the Republic. Now, joining me on the line to talk about this is Eamon Connolly, Managing Director of Newry Business Improvement District, and Katie Hayward, Professor of Political Sociology at Queen's University Belfast. Good morning and welcome to you both. Um, Eamon, first of all, 7,500, it uh, might put a lick of paint on some premises. It wouldn't do much more. That's correct, Pat. Um, it, it, it's nowhere near. We're, we're in a multi-million pound loss situation that continues to rise every day as the cleanup continues. Um, 7,500 pounds would only help with some of the immediate remediation. Uh, and we hope it's a first payment and we are continuing to lobby for more support. Now, can you outline to us uh, the extent of the damage, you know, the extremes from, as I say, a lick of paint for some or a new carpet uh, to the total destruction of some businesses? You're correct. We have uh, the full range from minimal water damage through to catastrophic loss and structural damage to buildings. So it's it's property damage, fixtures and fittings, stock, uh, loss of livelihood, staff employment. It's It's just... Uh, immeasurable at the present. Now, we know that these were unprecedented uh, floods and uh, they came about in Newry as a result of a canal bank collapsing. I'm wondering to what extent uh, there was insurance in place given that this flooding hadn't happened before and therefore unprecedented to the underwriters. We we are on a floodplain and Newry is between a canal and a river. So over the years, we've had several floods, but nothing in this magnitude. And several of the insurers have withdrawn from the market. So of the 100 businesses affected in Newry, only two that I know of have insurance. And those are large corporates with block policy insurance. So basically, everybody is uninsured against flood risk and everybody is sitting facing an existential crisis as to whether they can continue in business. Now, when you're dealing uh, with uh, the Northern Secretary, uh, who, you know, officiates uh, in Northern Ireland, but uh, basically spends most of the time in Belfast, uh, do you think much of what you're saying is falling on deaf ears? 
We met him yesterday, and uh, he certainly listened, and 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 he certainly um, took on board what we were saying, particularly the human nature of the stories behind the data. But he, he did push back on local government and he did push back on the local civil service uh, as well. And any solution is going to involve local government, Stormont and Westminster, and particularly Westminster, because this is a natural disaster. And it's of such proportions that it will destroy our local um, business community. Now, when he says uh, it'll be tripartite, it'll be uh, local councils doing some of the help and it'll be uh, the executive and the assembly when it ever gets back up and running, which will have to participate and also Westminster. But you'd suspect that most budgets are probably, you know, fairly balanced. There wouldn't be too much fat around. um, So it will require extra money. Is he promising any extra cash from Westminster? He hasn't promised anything beyond a goodwill to try and help. He caveated his comments by saying Westminster is currently going through a COVID inquiry in relation to the disbursement of public funds. And we lobbied to say the lessons of that should be learnt, but we shouldn't suffer as a result. And Stormont is running at a, a capital and a revenue deficit. The funds yesterday are a reallocation of unspent money. What we need, given the scale of the losses here, is new money. And uh, we need it fast. Mm. What is the council saying locally? Uh, the, the council's probably busy just trying to understand the extent of the problem. And at the minute, all the indications are this initial payment will be rooted through the council for expedient delivery. So I think they're looking at their mechanisms as to how they can get that money out quickly. All right, so it's wait and see. But at the moment, uh, £7,500 as a grant is not going to help very many of the 100 businesses. It is absolutely insufficient and uh, will will make negligible difference. And if we don't get substantive support at the back of it, we have a huge problem uh, that we just do not have an answer for. And I suppose, Eamon, that the last question has got to be about remediation of the actual cause of the flood. I mean, you acknowledge you're on a flooding plane, but many towns in Ireland might have uh, that history behind them. Um, Are they doing work? Are they going to ensure the Canal Bank is buttressed, uh, is repaired, is restored uh, to the point that it at least cannot contribute to to, to flooding in the future? There are flood alleviation measures underway and um, they have to happen uh, because there's no point being put back in place where you should be if it's going to reoccur. The problem we have is is that long-term investment needs to be front-loaded with immediate survival money. And uh, we look at a situation like Flurry Bridge, just outside Newry, which is a business park on the border. And there's 30 businesses there facing catastrophic losses. And just across the road in North Louth, we have businesses who received a £100,000 payment pretty promptly from the Irish government. And we are certainly looking to see similar support and experience levels uh, mm. up here. But in the meantime, you know, you try to put your business back together to trade for Christmas, uh, beg, borrow the money to try and uh, get up and running again. But no guarantee another major rainfall event uh, won't do it all again. So whatever about long term uh, flood alleviation measures, they've got to try and make sure in the short term there's something done to stop it happening again this winter. Absolutely. And what we're seeing is many of the tenants are considering where they locate going forward, but where many of the independent traders and business owners who own their properties do not have a choice to relocate and they have to find a way to come back. But without external capital and without insurance, that just can't happen. 
Eamon Connolly, Managing Director of uh, Newry Business Improvement District. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Listening to all of that, uh, Katie Hayward, Professor of Political Sociology at Queen's University, Belfast. Katie, good morning. Morning, Pat. Now, the reason we want to talk to you is to try to understand, because of the lack of an executive, the lack of uh, an assembly sitting, uh, what impact it has on situations like we've seen in Newry and the surrounding area. Well, uh, the Secretary of State, uh, Chris Eden-Harris, yesterday sort of made a bit of a political point as well in saying that the money would have uh, been announced and would be given to businesses um, affected by the flooding much more quickly had we had a sitting executive and assembly in place. Um, And this points to an ongoing issue, of course, that um, the Secretary of State remains overall responsible for Northern Ireland, uh, for the UK government, but he uh, continues to... um, encourage people in Northern Ireland to put pressure on um, the DUP in particular to go back into the executive because he he is um, very much of the view that, that the executive and assembly need to be functioning to address such issues as, as the flooding. Now, he has it within his powers uh, to simply uh, abandon what has happened and call a new election, does he not? He does. So we're in a really strange situation um, in that we've had several pieces of emergency legislation passed to enable this situation where we don't have the executive and assembly. So um, in theory, what should have happened um, when we didn't have the executive formed six months after the election last May, there should have been another election called. However, he put off that decision for a few months. And then when that deadline ran out, he put off the decision again. So he's given himself until the end of January next year to make the decision about calling an election, but he can call it any time. I think the question is, though, would it make any difference? So um, one debate is around the protocol wins a framework and the other is the fact of course that we've had a significant change in the makeup of the assembly with Sinn Féin now being the largest party. Yeah so uh, you have a, another election you get pretty much uh, the the same result a few deck chairs moved around the Titanic if you'll pardon the local pun um, and you have the same situation a standoff again I mean the best uh, endeavours to produce the Windsor framework given it the nice royal name of Windsor to try and push it along um, didn't move the DUP. They really did their best with the Windsor Frame at the UK and the EU to try and address the needs of um, unionists around the protocol arrangements, um, including, as you say, naming it that way and covering it in red, white and blue. Um, However, the issues uh, of concern aren't really just about trade or about the requirements put on goods moving across the Irish Sea from Britain into Northern Ireland. Um, When we look at um, polling that we're conducting here in Queen's uh, around concerns about the protocol, uh, for strong unionists, it's all tied up with Northern Ireland's constitutional position. So there there is a sense that Northern Ireland's place in the UK has been undermined by these particular arrangements and it's placed in the UK Mm. internal market as well. So it's a very, you're you're dealing with trade and political issues here and uh, those are very difficult to address. Now there's growing apprehension in Britain, uh, particularly among younger people, about the wisdom of Brexit. Um, You know, it didn't deliver what it promised. Um, Trade deals have been sparse and slow in coming. Um, There are difficulties. I watched uh, UK passport holders in a pen recently in Italy while the rest of us EU members sailed through uh, immigration control and the UK was penned in with the rest of the world. And I just thought if any of those travellers had voted for Brexit, they must be having second thoughts. 
What perplexes me is that the DUP did not seize upon the Windsor framework and say, and indeed the whole deal, to say we have the best of all possible worlds. We can trade into Europe. We can trade into Britain. This is great. This is a victory for the DUP. Instead, they decided to take the very opposite stance. I think so. Um, there was hope that the DUP would go back in, and certainly that's what the UK and EU had intended, that the, EU, that the DUP had stepped down from their protest at the protocol. There were, there were missed opportunities, though, and so um, the British government, for example, didn't really set out um, why it was um, that Northern Ireland has to have um, unique um, post-Brexit trading arrangements in order to avoid a hard Irish border. Um, And they didn't set out the limits of what could be agreed with the EU. So, for example, we will always need border control posts on goods entering Northern Ireland, including from Great Britain. So even though they went very far and the EU showed considerable flexibility and the UK can, you know, did did make moves as well. Um, I don't think the ground was prepared. And obviously, if you're wanting to see any major shift in position, uh, you need to manage expectations in advance about what could mm. potentially be achieved. And so we have a really extraordinary position whereby uh, the DUP, so one party in Northern Ireland, is in closed talks with one government, the UK government, and they're wanting to see a significant move somewhere. And that significant move either relates to the Windsor framework, which is an international agreement. So the UK can't make any changes on that unilaterally. It would have to be with the EU. Or it would make a significant change in relation to the post-Good Friday agreement arrangements. And again, that can't be done unilaterally by the UK government. It would have to be involving the Irish government and the other parties. So what can be negotiated at the moment, and this is the this is what it comes down to, is something that would just be enough to reassure the DUP um, that Northern Ireland's place is secure. And that really is unlikely to be done in such mm. negotiations. Um, and hence the sense that um, we're really not going to see a significant move from the DUP. And polling we have out today actually from Queen's shows that um, the DUP supporters are fully behind them in boycotting the Assembly and Executive until we see some significant no. shift um, somewhere. In order for that to change, they've got to suffer in some way. So uh, what other things are stalled? What key decisions, what key monies are stalled because there's no executive? Well, this is the thing. I mean, all people in Northern Ireland are suffering as a consequence of not having the executive and assembly in place, um, and most particularly those who are most vulnerable. So we've had significant budget cuts imposed, and unusually because of no executive and assembly, uh, these budget cuts are having to be rolled out by civil servants. Um, the head of the civil service, Jane Brady, wrote an open letter to the Secretary of State back in July saying we can't make any more decisions. We've already cut where we can. And those cuts tend to happen where um, where it's most straightforward and where they have uh, civil servants have the power to do that. So it's affecting things like um, children with needing special, with special educational needs or uh, people with disabilities or older people. Um, and it's really, um, you're beginning to see this in the world of um, and the lack of uh, rollout of uh, decisions that were made by the previous assembly. So in relation to um, uh, racial integration strategy, in relation to climate change um, strategies, um, in okay. relation to disability, so etc. You're so really saying is, that, that the, the, the mainstream will not be effective. If, if you're in a job, you're paying your taxes, you're living well, 
um, you're okay. Thank you very much. I'm all right, Jack. Yeah. But if you're disabled, if you're in special education, if you're, um, you know, involved in the whole climate change debate uh, where, you know, a lot of people don't care as long as they're, they can still drive their diesel car down the road, um, you're untouched by the lack of an executive. Well, well, we're not. So where, where the people are seeing the most um, impact directly is in um, removal of those things that may be seen as extra, but of course they're crucial. Um, but more widely, in terms of the cuts that are happening in relation to all, all the budgets um, and the, the crisis that our health uh, um, system is in at the moment, and it really is a crisis, um, simply people not able to get an, an appointment even with a GP um, and... And, and just to give a personal example, I've been waiting on a waiting list of, for, to see a consultant for two years and I received a letter the other day and it said, would you mind uh, being taken off the list because we simply can't offer you a, an appointment at this time? And, and that's very common experience. Um, so the, the, it's not that you know only the vulnerable um, um, are affected. They're affected most immediately and directly in those uh, budget cuts. But the whole of the public service in Northern Ireland is increasingly in, in crisis. And this is particularly acute because we don't have ministers to make decisions. Um, and so there's a standoff now with civil servants saying we can't make decisions uh, about um, implementing the strategies and um that need to be made and the system need to be made and the Secretary of State saying, Well, it's not my it's not my responsibility. Mm-hmm. You need to have the ministers in place. And mm. All right. Professor Katie Hayward, Professor of Political Sociology at Queen's University Belfast and a fellow at the Senator George J. Mitchell Institute for Global Peace, Security and Justice. Thank you very much for joining us. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at nine AM on News Talk.